Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is Jason Douglas from CultureCast Radio, and you're listening to the 4D Podcast Network. Welcome back to another edition of the Twins and Losses Super Show, part of the 4D Podcast Network. As always, I'm Panda Pete, joined by a self-sufficient Dan McCarthy. Dan, how are you doing today? I'm feeling self-sufficient and oddly independent, although so, I do miss stubs. This, this is true. We actually have it all set up now where uh, Dan's recording from the comfort of his home. I'm recording from the comfort of my home. We both got coffee and we cut out Jake. So screw you, Stubbs. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Go have fun doing the stuff that you have responsibility for doing this morning. Yeah, go be an adult and stuff, you bastard. Anyway, yeah. after, after that, we are part of the 4D Podcast Network. Thank you, Stubbs. Uh, and yeah, so we've got plenty of things to talk about today. Uh, but you can follow along with us on Twitter, at Twins and Losses. And of course, you can follow us individually at PandaPete21 and at VDOker. Dan, it's been a couple weeks since we last talked, and there isn't a ton of news regarding the Minnesota Twins. Um, and we're actually going to start by one of our favorite pastimes, which is making fun of the Chicago White Sox. <laughs> so this was interesting. This comes from John Seidel, uh, who says, Two former Chicago White Sox employees are charged for scheming with a ticket broker to fraudulently sell thousands of tickets to baseball games costing the White Sox roughly $1 million, the feds say. White Sox ticket sellers James Costello and William O'Neill have been charged along with broker Bruce Lee, who I thought was dead many moons ago. Um, (laughs) But Lee allegedly earned $868,369 by selling 34,876 tickets he obtained from Costello and O'Neill during the 2016 to 2019 seasons. Lee faces 11 counts of wire fraud and two counts of money laundering. Costello faces one count of wire fraud, and O'Neill is charged with lying to the FBI. Oof. So, not ideal. No. Like, I did a quick... I didn't get to read the entire article. I did a quick peruse last night before I went to bed. That's, um... That's worse than I thought. (laughs) Here's the weird thing, though. Each ticket came out to about $24.89 if you average out the amount of money that Lee earned versus the amount of tickets sold. And that's still about $24 more than anyone should pay to go to Guaranteed Rate Field. What is a uh, commons old bit? Isn't it, like, broke my side view or my 
driver's side mirror and left two tickets on my dashboard. <laughs> exactly. So <laughs> the fact that they were finding people to buy all of these tickets, and I'm assuming that there's some of the more premium, that there were some premium tickets built in with uh, some of the traditional uh, tickets as well, too. Again, that was just the average cost of, of the numbers there. But ultimately... Uh, it seemed relatively interesting that uh, they were able to set something like this up. I know that, was it Mike Tice? Or not Mike Tice himself. No, it was Mike Tice and one of his staffers, I think, back when he was head coach of the Vikings, uh, that got in trouble for selling Super Bowl tickets. Oh, I didn't know about that either. Or if I did, I completely forgot. I mean, it, it's been a while because, you know, Mike Tice was not here for well over a decade by now. Um <laughs> But yeah, it's always interesting when I find when we hear about different things regarding ticket scams and things that uh, staff members of these organizations are doing, which I've never quite understood. <laughs> no, it, I mean, I, obviously they had this plan in place, but for some reason, like when I was reading this article and again today while we're talking about it, it just kind of reminded me of Office Space, like that whole penny scheme that they have that goes just haywire. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why it reminds me of that. Maybe because it's like a... Because you think, like, wire fraud and things like that, you're thinking, like, hundreds of thousands, even millions of dollars, and they're sitting there doing it for, like, 24 bucks a pop. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess when you think about the fact that they're selling them for around $25 or averaging about $25 per ticket, it may have been a situation where they sat down and figured that if they sold them for a decent enough price that they'd be able to get away with it. But uh, I guess part of it, too is I want to know a little bit more about what it means to fraudulently sell these tickets. Like, if they weren't supposed to, um, seems like one thing, but then if they were potentially, like, reselling tickets that were quote-unquote sold, then that would be a totally other um, totally other situation, too. Yeah, was there any, like, anything in that article about, like, people not being able to get into the games with these fraudulent tickets? Or did it, I mean, seeing what we've seen from Century, or whatever the hell guaranteed raid field the last couple of years i don't think that anyone like had problems like using duplicate tickets because it's never been that busy there but i did anyone have any problems or get like turned away at the door um i'm trying to look a little bit here and uh i guess there were complimentary tickets so i would assume that these are the ones that they give out for giveaways or uh fans or different promotions and events and so these probably were tickets that hadn't sold Okay. Would be my guess, but again, I'm not entirely sure. The article, I just breezed through it real quickly, and it didn't really uh, explain a ton of what was going on there. Yep, that's the same thing I did, too. So, It's more so we saw the headline of the article, like, ah let's get a general idea of what happened here. Yeah, it, it, it's a weird situation. Um, again, I don't really think that Chicago White Sox tickets would be that high in demand, uh, that people no. would be buying them off of StubHub or whatever the case might be. Uh, so which I'm going to take a look at the average attendance. Should we play the number game? See who's closer. Um, no, because I have to look at this. <laughs> it's not going to well, work quite. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, so let's see. Last year they had 1.649 million. 2018 they had 1.6 million. Uh, year 2017, they had 1.629, and then 16, they had 1.746, and then in 15, they had 1.75, which is down from 2011 to 2005. 
uh, when they were up around two million per season, if not a little bit more. So they actually almost hit three million in uh, two thousand seven. Okay. And that was the year, or no, sorry, that was uh, 2006, and that was the year after they'd won the World Series. Oh my goodness. So, I mean, I can definitely see some more excitement, and definitely with the offseason moves that they've made so far. And I mean, last year they were, I mean, for that product, and for what they'd seen for a while, decently fun to watch. I mean, you have kids like um, Tim Anderson, who was starting to come into his own, and a couple of the younger kids coming up. Uh, their names escape me at the moment, because it's early and I haven't finished my coffee yet. But, um, I mean, they're not a terrible team. It's just kind of not fun to watch when you lose a lot of games, as you and I and everyone else in Twins Terry has known for the last few years. Well, and I think the big thing for us is that when we get that opportunity, we run with it because of the fact that we get to actually get tickets for a decent price. Yes, but we have Target Field versus CenturyLink. Or, why do I keep calling it that? <laughs> Guaranteed rate. Um, so the White Sox were 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7th uh, worst in 2019 for average attendance in 2019. Okay. Uh, and I can only imagine that that's not great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they were 6th in 2018. And back in 2017, they were 4th. So here's the, the interesting thing, too. The Minnesota Twins, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. They were 10th uh, from the bottom, so they were 28th overall in attendance, but they still had 2 million. Uh, they ended up getting about 40 or 400,000 more than the White Sox in 2017. And let's take a look at 16, just for shits and giggles. Uh, the White Sox were 5th from the bottom, and the Twins were 8th from the bottom. Neither team crossed the two million mark. Yeah. I'm assuming so, for a couple of years there, if you weren't the Cleveland Indians, you weren't drawing very well in the AL Central. And let's take a look here. Because um, I remember like those preseason discussions. It was never like, oh, who's gonna who's gonna challenge Cleveland for number one? It was like, how many games do we think we could realistically get to them in second place? Like, even I think up until last year we were saying that. So, shockingly, the Minnesota Twins uh, only had 2.294 million uh, visitors to the park last season, uh, which was still better than Cleveland's 1.738 million. Re- that is very surprising to me. Is that surprising to you? Yeah. I mean, and then you've, yeah. So it's a good product. Only about 100,000, and then it's about 150,000 difference from Chicago to Cleveland. To Cleveland or to Detroit, I'm sorry, uh, and then Kansas City came in last in the AL Central with 1.479 million. I think that might be even more surprising is the fact that Detroit pulled that well. Well, I mean, what else are you going to do in Detroit? <laughs> you can go watch the Redway. Oh, so shockingly, I... even in 2018, the Twins had 1.959 million. Cleveland was right behind them at 1.926. So just the AL Central does not pull very well, period, it sounds like. Okay, so we're back to 2017, Dan. Minnesota had 2.051. Cleveland had 2.048. Hmm. 16 and 15 might be a little different. Okay, so in 16... Or no, this is... uh, Yeah, in 16... 
The Twins took $1.963 million, and Cleveland came with $1.591. Okay. Uh, and they were both below Detroit and Kansas City. I am and these confused. Are... Everyone in the L Central plays in an outdoors, like an open-air stadium, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Because, like, just for reference, I wanted to go through and, like, take a look at some other ones, like, in the Midwest. My first example that I'm looking at is the Brewers, and last year was 2.9, 2.8, 2.6, 2.3, and 2.5 million, respectively, from 2019 to 2015. Dan, in 2015, the Cleveland Indians brought in 1.388 million. (laughs) Oh, my God. They were second worst. Is there anyone that's... I wonder if there's anyone that's ever perennially last. Cleveland drew... Two, in two, 2014, Cleveland drew 1.437. You said 2014? Yeah. And then what was it again? Uh, 1.4, 1.3. Yeah, that is literally half of what the Brewers <laughs> brought in in 2014. In 2013, Cleveland brought in 1.572. Oh my goodness. Which is shocking to me because there was some World Series runs in there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Apparently, Cleveland does not care about that baseball team. But what do they have to care about over there? I suppose it... Well, I don't remember like what the timeline is. Like Maybe the Cavaliers because of LeBron? But, I mean, nobody was going to go to Browns games either. Well, I, I would guess... So, they won the pennant in 2016. Yep. Uh, they won the division title from 16 to 18. Yeah, I don't know. All right. You would think that those years would be uh, enough to get some people in there. I mean, they've had uh, Terry Francona as well, too. I love Terry Francona. I kind of wish that he would have taken over. But I think he got plucked by Cleveland the year before we let Gardy go, didn't he? Um, He may have. I, I don't care enough. I know it was close. But... Yeah, it's. I didn't realize that Cleveland drew that poorly. No, I didn't either. I thought for sure during those like the pennant runs and even the World Series run, they'd have somewhere probably closer to two million, and they only hit that mark once. I think you said. Yeah, if, if I remember, but I'm again still working on my coffee as well too. Yep. Um, kind of going off attendance, the Twins last year really started to do a lot of kind of flash deals and some other specials, uh, depending on what the schedule looked like and what attendance was uh, to get more fans into the ballpark to give uh, either standing room only or bleacher seats or various things too. Uh, And this year we've got kind of another unofficial season ticket pass of a sort uh, with the Twins Pass. And so it's uh, $45. You have until February 12th to sign up for that. Uh, It's $45 a month. uh, And they're good to get you into all games except for the home opener. Uh, And then you also get the opportunity to upgrade to a seat on a game-by-game basis based on availability. Ooh. And you said it was $45 a month? Yep. Speaking as someone who works downtown and probably will never be able to afford season tickets, this sounds like an incredibly good deal. It's $270 for the six, you know, unofficial six months of the season. Yeah, I can... Would break down, too. 
I can think of a lot worse ways to spend two hundred and seventy dollars. Well, and I think too, if you go to ten games uh, and you you buy even the home run view of the upper deck, that in and of itself is going to be right around two hundred seventy dollars, mm-hmm. and maybe even less than ten games with taxes and fees. Uh, and everything else that are built in tickets as well. So if you can pay that $45 flat fee to basically get your pick of the games that you want to go to, um, and I do believe that you you sign up for it, but if you cancel the deal, then you're done for the season. Oh, okay. So you're, that's what, that was going to be my next question, is do you have to like renew? or You have to renew each month, I believe, and if you decide not to, then they don't let you get that deal again for the remainder of the season. Okay. But again, two hundred seventy dollars for you know, again, not saying it's a it's a great deal for families or for busy people or anything like that too. But uh, for people like you and I, who have a little bit more free time and we do enjoy going to Target Field, you know, two hundred seventy dollars to have access to technically what eighty games. Yeah, absolutely. So that's especially, especially that's, early on in the season two, where you're gonna get like yeah, you probably buy those the home run porch views, but you're gonna have no problem getting into the bottom bowl because yeah. nobody really is there until what would you say like late no probably like early June is when people really start showing up. Uh, I might even say May, uh, depending on what okay. the weather's like too, but. Uh, it's tough, and I know that there's the you know put a roof on it crowd. There's the leave it alone crowd, um, but I really would have rather have put uh, a little bit more money into creating some sort of a retractable roof. I mean, yeah, if, are we talking like the, the Milwaukee, like kind of like the airplane hangar sort of deal, or Minute Maid Park? Any of those places, really? Mm-hmm. I always um, forget that Minute Maid Park has a retractable, mm-hmm. uh, and I believe that's what they're building for the Rangers as well. Yeah, because that place got way too hot. Oh, yeah. Um, so, again, if we can spend, uh, you know, a billion-some dollars on a team that's never won a championship here in the Twin Cities, uh, I feel like we could have at least spent, you know, $600 million on a team that's brought two titles. Mm-hmm. Especially since they were the only team that had won any championships uh, up until 2010. Yeah. Yeah. So... Just a uh, little, little fun Chicago White Sox news for you today. <laughs> a little day brightener for everybody. Man, it's uh, it's definitely been interesting uh, with some of the news that's come out over the last couple weeks. Uh, the Twins apparently are in the process of signing, or they have signed, uh, Julius Chassin. Depending on who you talk with on Twitter, um, seen conflicting reports as to where they are. Uh, but apparently it's for a minor league deal. Uh, for a guy that potentially has uh, some decent upside in there as well, um, mm-hmm. I think back to them trying to sign, you know, James Harden, uh, Joel Zumaya, some of the other pitching—I wouldn't say flops, but just guys that kind of had that potential. Cody Allen for a stretch last season as well. Um, that if you can get them and they do perform, that's going to be a huge upgrade. Uh, but obviously, when the Twins go out and sign pile of shit Sam Dyson. Uh, and fan favorite Sergio Romo, that really kind of cut uh, Cody Allen's return to the majors off at the legs. Um, so Did again, this could be another... Allen before the season started? No, we cut him in the middle of the season. I don't think we signed him until like June. Okay, that's what I thought too, yeah. Because I think we were both kind of like, oh, okay, I get... Yeah, because that was in the midst of the whole like the bullpen purge and then trying to put it back together. 
Yeah, um, and that was you and I had both thought thought it was weird that we hadn't called him up in in July, uh, and then we heard the news of Sam Dyson and Sergio Romo, and again with Tyler Clippard and Sergio Romo coming back, um, <coughs> there wasn't going to be space for a Cody Allen, especially if he wasn't uh, throwing anything of note, which is apparently what it sounded like from the reports. So hopefully he can find a club uh, this season because I really really did enjoy watching him and Miller. Uh, closed down Cleveland's bullpen for a couple of years, but we've seen what those high mileage uh, situations can do, and I, I wonder too if Trevor Hildenberger wasn't necessarily a uh, kind of a a victim of the way that Paul Molitor used him for uh, the 2017 and eight and 18 seasons. I I mean you'd have to imagine he was pretty much the only guy that uh, Molly trusted out of that bullpen, and it. Definitely showed. Yeah, and especially, too, that Hildy was going in, uh, you know, three or four times a week some weeks. Yeah. And Trevor, like or, Trevor, uh, Taylor, old Trevor May. Taylor Rogers was, like, very, very clearly the closer, um, but Hildenberger was the setup man. Um, and the seventh inning man and wherever else that Molitor yeah. felt necessary. So, which, again, I'm not knocking Paul Molitor because I feel like he was actually a lot more progressive with his bullpen than Ron Gardenhire was uh, at any point during his stint here with the Twins. Um, but you and I both, even at the second half of 2017, were a little worried about the amount of innings that Taylor, or that, uh, getting all of the, the, the T's confused with each other. There's Taylor and Trevor and Trevor and, yeah. Um, but we were even a little concerned at the end of 2017, and then when 2018 came along, too, we were all a little like, okay, this seems not sustainable, and it wasn't. No. Because he fell apart even at the end of 2018. Yeah, and that was... Because I think it was 17-2 where we had that really good bullpen the first half, and then it was it was like a reverse Barreos almost. Like, our bullpen was stellar in the first half, and they're like, oh yeah, we can't throw this much for this long, and then just everything fell apart. Yeah. So, you know, I think uh, any opportunity we get for a Hoolies Chassin or somebody else to come in for spring training to sign some sort of a minor league uh, contract isn't going to be a bad thing. Uh, mm-hmm. Obviously, the Twins are very comfortable with going after your Rich Hills of the world at this point, which I think <sighs> you and I would both agree that it would have been nice to have gone out and tried to sign one of the big name free pitcher, you know, free agent pitchers. Um, And we were, we were the, the Zach Wheeler contingent of the, the, because I felt like Zach Wheeler was a realistic get for the twins. I didn't think that, that they were going to go toe to toe with New York, the Dodgers, LA, the, the angels or whoever it was that were going to give Garrett Cole, you know, upwards of $200 million for five or six seasons. Um, but I figured a Zach Wheeler would be a little bit more affordable in, in terms of that. But mm-hmm. uh, it's not Rich Hill that's coming off surgery, is it? Uh, he yeah, he's. I think he's going to start his throwing regimen pretty soon. Here. Okay. Yeah, because it's, and this is the thing that I've heard a lot about. Because I mean, we all know who like we know of Rich Hill, but like delving into the numbers and stuff. If when he's healthy, and he's usually never healthy for more than half, maybe two-thirds of a season, unfortunately, but the dude is incredible when he's healthy. 
Yeah, because the uh, interesting thing about the starting rotation is I feel like through at least the first month and a half, as we still wait for Michael Pineda to finish his suspension, uh, and then with Rich Hill kind of doing all of his rehab and everything, um, that really the Twins are going to probably throw out something like Jose Barrios, Homer Bailey, uh, Jake Odorizzi, and then I wouldn't be surprised if your Randy Dobnax and Devin Smelters of the world uh, kind of get that opportunity if they do need that fifth pitcher uh, to kind of be long relievers, um, starters, kind of keep them stretched out for those situations. And again, this is the first season of having that official 26th spot on the roster. So I'm curious as to how the Twins are going to carry pitchers with this new open spot. Uh, If they are going to maybe stack the bullpen a little bit deeper because of this situation, or if they're going to try to sneak in a Williams Ostadio as kind of that ultra utility man. Yeah, because I think bullpens are limited to, is it bullpens or like just pitching in general that's limited to 13 slots on the 26-man roster? I'm not entirely I think it's sure. Just, I think it's just pitchers in general that they're limited to 13. Well, I'm going to look, so you keep talking. Uh, and then, yeah, I was trying to find this anyway. Uh, a Ho Park fra- or tweet from January 24th of 2020 says, Rich Hill says he's slated to start baseball activity next week, and he's aiming for a return in early June. Okay. And apparently his elbow surgery wasn't, like, the normal. It was kind of an experimental mm-hmm. elbow surgery. Well, we'll th- uh, you know, I don't have any uh, knock on that whatsoever. No, because, I mean, the dude still shoves at 40. Um, shoves is more... Is his shoves qualified? Like, when you hear shoves, do you think that... Is that more velocity or is that just more stuff? Because uh, I don't know if there's, like, an actual... Like definition for it. I'm not entirely sure myself either, so I, I won't speak on the topic. But yes, you can only have 13 pitchers on the roster, uh, okay. so which would give that a... Um, but yeah, I mean, we'll technically only have, what, three three starters at this point, and then they got to wait for Dick Mountain and Michael Pineda to come back. So mm-hmm. I would imagine that that bullpen is going to be pretty stacked for the first... Uh, First few weeks of the season, at least. Yeah. Because you know they're going to probably, like, they're going to give Thorpe a shot, they'll give Smelter a shot, they'll give Dobnik a shot, just kind of see what shakes out. Which I'm not against, because I really do think that if the Twins are going to try to stick with homegrown talent, which is what it appears like after this uh, uh, offseason, that they really do need to give these guys ample opportunity to showcase as to whether or not they can be uh, a fourth or a fifth or whatever. Because, again... Uh, Jake Odorizzi could be gone at the end of this season. We don't know what's going Mm -hmm. on with him. Um, Michael Pineda will be here for at least one season, but I believe both Rich Hill and Homer Bailey signed one-year contracts. Uh, So really, after this season, the starting rotation theoretically would be Jose Barrios and fill in the blank. We really don't have a clue. And technically, I haven't seen or heard anything about uh, a contract extension for Jose Barrios either. So it's not that I expect the Twins to trade him, but if they can't come to an agreement as to what the contract might be, I do think it's a possibility that they try to ship out Jose Barrios uh, to potentially bring in like a a solid number two or somebody else uh, and potentially some prospects along the way as well. Yeah, I never even thought about that. I mean... um, Yeah, because I mean... Because they've, they've extended an offer to him at least once, right? And he neglected it? 
uh, last season, I believe, was the first year that they extended a, an extension to him, and he turned it down. Yep. Because like, we were kind of weird. And I think last year when we talked about that, we were like, I mean, that's fine. Like, he's obviously going to bet on himself. Let's hope it all works out for him. And it looked like it did for the first half, and then he berailed in the second half. What? He's never done that. <laughs> there is no track record. Yeah. Um. Doesn't say. Come on, Spoltrack. You're usually so good with these things. Contracts. Care about his career cash earnings. Yeah, so, definitely in the beginning of the season, to steal a headline from a Twinkie Town article, it seems like it's quantity over quality in the beginning. Yeah. But I mean, that's because, like we've said a handful of times, it's we got people waiting in the wing. We just kind of kind of make the first, what, quarter of the season to work, half season? We sent out Randy Dobnik to face the New York Yankees at Yankee Stadium, and he made it four and a half innings or something. To be fair, that's more than Irvin made in his start at Yankee Stadium. But I'm 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 seeing that as a good thing. Oh, I know that's incredible. You go back. Jose Barrios got shelled in that wild card game. Yep. Uh, Irvin Santana started that game, correct? Yeah, because remember that was uh, I think they had um, uh, Louis, what's his name, for the Yankees go out there, and we put, like, two on him in the first. We're like, oh, my God, it's happening. And then they did the exact same thing to us. And yeah, then I think like, it was just a bullpen game. We might have even put up four in the first inning on him. It might have been. But, yeah, I remember, because, yeah, we were like, oh, my God, it's actually happening. And then they and then just the came back in the, the second. came around. <laughs> yeah. So Royals came in... Out of the bullpen for that game, I remember. Yeah. Um, and we all were a little confused by that, but it is what it is. Uh, Jose Barrios still has two more arbitration years after this. Oh, okay. So we got so, a while. To have somebody with his upside at his age and the fact that he is arbitration eligible for two more seasons um, would be a pretty nice trade chip for the Minnesota mm-hmm. Twins. Speaking of, they're... I mean, this could just be like reading tea leaves and stuff, but I believe it was Wes Johnson who made some comment on the Twins Caravan um, about Bruce Gratterall. Never mind, this is going the wrong way. Um, this was at the press conference for Josh Donaldson about him taking the number 20. And apparently, like, Falvey and Levine were like, no, no, it's, it's, it's fine, we're figuring it out, because as of right now, obviously, Eddie Rosario is number 20, so Donaldson has been given 24. Uh, he has extended a trade to Rosario, but was since rejected. And so, like, they, I think they got asked that again. And Falvey and Levine were like, oh, yeah, we're going to figure it out, and something like that. But does this possibly lead, like, could Eddie Rosario be traded before the season starts? I mean, we talked about it back in 2018 that we thought that Eddie Rosario could potentially be a good trade chip for the Minnesota Twins, especially with some of the prospects that we have waiting in the wings. And now the fact that it looks like a lot of them are going to get derailed in terms of where they might go. So, yeah, I'm I'm a bit confused as to what uh, what's going on with Eddie Rosario. Um, defensively, he makes some great catches. But he's making these great catches because he's not exactly a great defender. Yeah. Um, you know, anytime that I see highlight reels of the same outfielder having to lay out for every ball, 
uh, generally means that they're either not fast enough to get there on their own volition uh, or they're out of place as well. So I his bat streaky. Um, he's a little injury prone as well. So there, there's a handful of concerns that I have with Eddie Rosario uh, that I didn't even back in 2017. But as he, his career's progressed and as we've seen certain things happen, um, it's a little concerning at this point, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's 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 more of a trend than a mirage at this point. Like um, when it's it's when it clicks, it clicks. But when it doesn't, my God, is it frustrating? Yeah, and again, we've seen good Eddie Rosario. We've seen great Eddie Rosario, and we've also seen the uh, you know Jake Cave could theoretically do what Eddie Rosario does with consistent playing time. We saw it again at the second half of the season. Um, mm-hmm. Kind of once August had rolled around and Jake Cave was starting to feel a little bit more comfortable, his September was much better than the August and, and all the previous months of the season because he it, you could tell he wasn't fighting it anymore. He wasn't trying to you know save himself from getting sent to AAA or to sit on the bench when he knew that he was going to get that consistent playing time, and his play started to reflect that too. Um, mm-hmm. Again, to me, it is concerning that Jake Cave has kind of been a little bit of a head case in regards to that. Um, you see a lot of guys that seem to deal a little bit better with it uh, at that point. But with Mitch Garver, Jake Cave kind of being more or less guaranteed a roster spot this year, I'm really hoping that they can come in and just play at a very high level throughout the season. Yeah, do you, do you see Jake Cave as being one of those guys that just needs the because I feel like when he was getting inconsistent at bats, that's when he was struggling. But once we got him into the lineup, concert, like pretty consistently, that's when he started to kind of put numbers up. And I'm wondering if that has something to do with it. And also, I'm assuming like having to be sent up and down and up and down and up and down also does a little bit to your psyche. Oh, I'm not saying it does it one bit. Uh, I, I just oh, yeah. think that he physically shows it a lot more than other players do. Oh, okay. So, like, where's the heart on the sleeve sort of thing? Yeah. And, and I've okay. seen guys like, you know, your Trevor Mays of the world who've had, you know, rough patches here and there. But they seem to compose themselves a little bit better um, in regards to some of the uncertainty that they've dealt with versus, say, Jake Cave. Okay. I see. Because I remember the, the third game of that Yankees series at Target Field in uh, July when Jake Cave just laid out for a ball that there was no reason for him to even try that. <laughs> oh, and I think right. that's what like gave up the, the lead or at least a couple runs at a certain point in the game. And it, that was a situation where I'm like, this dude is just not himself because he wouldn't normally make that move. Yeah, because I remember you and I on um, the pod that like after that series, we're just like he's trying to be Buxton and he's not. And yeah, like they, yeah, that probably just harkens back to him wanting to be able to stay on the roster, but doing things like that's not gonna help. No, it, it doesn't help. But uh, the fact that we signed Ari Adrianza to that extension, the fact that we've got our utility guys, Marwin Gonzalez, Williams Astadio. Um, and Ariadrianza, and the outfield is, I believe, going to be some form of Kepler, Rosario, Buxton, and Cave. Uh, and mm-hmm. that might change depending on what happens with uh, Cave. But we've seen that Marwin can play the outfield. Um, we know that Arise can play at least a corner position, uh, if need be, depending on what the, the roster and the lineup and, and opponent looks like for the day. So we've got... If you want to pull out all the stops, Ostadio can play some outfield, too. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not saying that as like a, you know, hey, he can, it's like, no, we can put him out there and he's he's not going to be terrible. Um, yeah. But the Twins seem to have a lot more versatility than they've had in the past. 
uh, when it comes to players being able to play out different positions. Um, with the Justin Morneau, with the Joe Maurer years behind us, um, you look at some of the guys like a Michael Kadire who played a myriad of different positions from time to time. Um, but, I mean, Jason Kubel was pretty much locked into right field. Rondell White was pretty much locked into left field. Um, you know, Denard Spann, Ben Revere could play some of the corner outfield positions, but it was very rare that any of the infielders were able to play outfield for the Twins during that time. Okay. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely nice to be able to do that, but, I mean, should we, since we just brought it up, should we talk about Marwin Gonzalez a little bit? Yeah, um, it's interesting. Um, you, I saw the article earlier this week. You mentioned it uh, the other day as well. Um, SignStealingScandal.com is supposedly from a Astros fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have no idea as to whether or not this person is an Astros fan or not. Um, but they went through and they looked at, uh, I believe, the full 81 games that were played during the regular season uh, at Minute Maid Park. And Which equated to what, like 8,600 like, individual pitches, I think? It was some ridiculous number. Like, this dude spent 50 hours. If you haven't checked out this website, we would highly recommend it. Well, and so part of it, too, I think, was that he was only able to... He said that there theoretically could have been more or less, but the only thing that he was listening for were the bangs that have kind of been the big trash can scandal in and of itself. Um, And so whether it was clapping, whistling, or yelling, uh, the person who put this website together was not able to to get that. So a lot of it was in regards to the trash can bangs themselves. Um, And just kind of going through to see uh, where they were, going through to see how often they were happening as well. Um, And so it was only Astros 2017 home games with video available. Uh, So only 58 games in all were logged out of the 81. Mm -hmm. Um, So part of it too was that, uh, again, there was no video available for some of it. Um, And part of it was that they did play the three games in Tampa because of Hurricane Harvey. Uh, so I didn't see, oh, there it is, players. Uh, and you said that Marwin Gonzalez, uh, out of 776 pitches that were logged, he had the most total bangs at 147. Um, and then I can't remember what his, uh, his stats were for the season. I know that he hit 303 in that season. I don't think he'd ever could like even eclipse 280 before or after. Yeah, so a little bit of a of a blip there when it comes to his career batting. Um, so you see that in 2017, he hit 303 during the regular season uh, and 455 at bats. In 2018, he hit 247, and Alex Cora was named the Red Sox manager in 18, correct? Mm-hmm. So Alex Cora was no longer gone, and it sounds like he was the biggest ringleader out of all of this. Uh, but Marwin hit 247 in 2018 and 552 at-bats, uh, and then he had a 264 average with 425 at-bats in 2019 with the Twins last season. Mm-hmm. So... I've seen some people talk about this. Uh, I talked about it a little bit with Ben Remington. Uh, And the big thing for me is that the Twins didn't necessarily sign Marwin Gonzalez 
for his bat. Mm-hmm. Um, the Minnesota Twins mostly signed him for his versatility and his defensive capabilities. The bat was obviously something uh, that was going to be a nice thing, but when you look at his career line, that 264 seems to be kind of more in turn of what you can expect from him. So, mm-hmm. with the trash cans, with everything else too, um, you know, like we mentioned on the last podcast, is that you even if you know what pitch is coming, you still have to have the skill to actually make contact. So, whether or not Marwin Gonzalez is a good hitter, whether he's an average hitter, whether he's a bad hitter, regardless of that, um, when you look at the 2017, that's definitely an outlier. Uh, and then when you even go into the postseason batting, though, I think this is where it gets a little more interesting. In 2017, uh, Marlin hit 200 in the ALDS against Boston. He hit 136 in the ALCS against the Yankees. And then in the World Series, he hit 208 against the Dodgers. Didn't he win, like, an MVP in one of those series? Mm, I think that was 18. No, it wasn't oh, okay. 18. Or, yeah, 18, he hit uh, 538 in the ALDS. And then okay. he hit 200 in the ALCS against Boston, which he got Alex Corrid. Yeah. And I th- actually think, like, in 2017, I th- think it was Derek Wetmore on his podcast who broke down the numbers a little bit, and he actually did better on the road than he did at home in 17. Uh, I do that- not have the numbers right now to back that up as I'm looking for them, but... Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I'd have to look a little bit more into that as well. But, I mean, part of it, too, is that you had, regardless, and this is part of it, is it, that when you have talent the way that the, the Houston Astros have talent, the trash cans only amplified that. It wasn't like the Astros were are a bad team without that. We, we've seen yeah. it last season. They were still capable of, of making it to the uh, to the World Series. Uh, we've seen some of the other things that have gone along with it, too. Um, but at the end of the day, yes, it's problematic, but no, I don't think that this is the end of the world. And I guess part of it for me, too, is that I, I really, really hate how end of the world everyone's gotten with this. Like, oh, the Astros cheated. What? I can't believe that. It's like, okay, how many players are taking HGH or some form of a steroid and have gotten away with it for how long? Mm-hmm. It's all cheating. So, I don't know. We survived the, the steroid era. <laughs> I, I, don't, I just don't think this is going to cause Major League Baseball to implode. No, but it's definitely going to get some bruises on the ribs of some of the Astros players, that's for sure. Which, uh, that in and of itself is another thing that we could go on about, but... Yeah, that seems like it could be a whole nother podcast, is the repercussions of all of this. Which we might get to at a certain point. Um, yeah, I, I just, I guess I'm not as up in arms about it as, as many other people are, and it it's what it is um i'm not going to be the person who feigns anger over this situation when again i have to believe every the the 29 other teams were trying to do something similar maybe not to the same level of 
uh, perfection, but don't kid yourself when you think your team's not cheating. I mean, there's like there's excerpts from books you can read, like from teams in the '70s who were doing the same sort of thing with telescopes from center field. Like this isn't new; it's just this is the most technologically advanced, I think, the most refined system that anyone's come up with. Yeah. So, and again, I feel like when you've got players from all over the league that have been ripping Mike Fires for everything that he's been going through and and the things that he's said to the media, um, the fact that so many players have come out and spoken against Mike Fires uh, really leads me to believe that uh, there's a lot more going on than one might expect. Yeah, because it kind of seems like he's almost getting like a Jim Bowden treatment when he first released Ball 4. Um, just as, like, if anyone doesn't know, Jim Bowden released a book, I think it was in the 70s, called Ball 4, which basically just, like, shed a whole bunch of light on what goes on out or off the field, in, like, in the clubhouse, in the hotel rooms, that sort of thing. And obviously, that was a uh, something that was not well-received by the brotherhood of baseball players, so he was pretty much blackballed for a handful of years from MLB. Mm-hmm. Uh... So, again, I have no idea uh, what's going on with, you know, any potential fallout with Mike Fires. Uh, as far as I know, he's still a member of the, the Oakland A's, and some people have reached out to him uh, to support him, but it seems like many more players uh, were a little more angry about that situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, it's not a good look for the MLB. No. I, and really, too, I, I don't know how the juiced ball is any better. <laughs> Speaking of, did you see uh, Max Kepler break down his uh, power surge from last year? Mm-mm. Uh, uh, Twins fast. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Was that, that uh, was comedic, a- worth a watch? Oh, absolutely. It was, uh, yeah, so posted on Reddit, it's Max Kepler gives an in-depth discussion as to how he hit better and more home runs this past season. So they ask him, and he just, like, puts the mic up to his mouth and just goes, juiced ball, and that was it. Yeah. I mean, uh, guys, again, if you get uh, a nice ball for a guy that might have warning track power and they're just able to get that extra couple feet, it'll go out. Yep. And I'm just, I mean, obviously he wasn't the only one that benefited from that. It was kind of like the steroid era, but every team had an even playing field. Which, I'm more... Part of my complaint is just, if you're going to juice the ball, then use the same fucking ball for the entire season. Stop switching the balls when you get to the postseason. Yeah, because that would... (laughs) Did they expect no one to notice that? Like, at all? Well, I don't understand why they've done it for at least, like, the past few seasons. Yeah, I don't either. And they don't allow that ball in, is it double A and below, I think? Because I think triple A, they allow them to use the MLB ball, but double A and below, I don't think they can. Yeah, they've changed the ball a handful of times, and I... And, like, what's that doing to the kids in the minors? Like, you can't, you get used to one ball, then you move up a level, and then it's completely different. you got to learn all over again. Because was it 17 when Justin Verlander was complaining about how slippery the ball was in comparison to the regular season? Yeah, because he's been on this for a while. Um, yeah, it's, it's just dumb. I, I just don't understand And then it. to come out and, like, try and tell us that, no, we didn't do anything to the ball when there's, like, you know, a mountain of evidence <laughs> to suggest mm-hmm. otherwise. And you have, like, what is it? Wasn't it an astrophysicist last year that, like, 
took a look at the balls from like last year and like 2017 or 2016 and then like all the way back to like 2000 and there's a pretty big difference oh absolutely yeah that's I don't know. It, to me, it's a really dumb situation, um, and I really hope that we get this resolved at a certain point just because it, it's, it hasn't made sense to me. If you're going to juice the ball, that's fine, but stop changing the ball. Um, and they've... Because part of it, too, I think, is that they've had like a, a more normal ball for the regular season, and then they've switched to a juice ball in the postseason. And I think even back in like 2016 or 17 as well, there were rumors that they changed the ball uh, for each different series. <laughs> Why? I, I don't know. I, I, I know you don't. don't like, know. that was more rhetorical, but like that just doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. No, I, I completely agree with that one bit. Um, so hopefully that's something that will get resolved this season, and if not, I'm sure it will be another topic of consternation for players, reporters, writers, and podcasters like us just the same. Mm-hmm. So we do Should have we some good some news. Happier news. We do have some good news. Justin Morneau is going in the Twins Hall of Fame this season. Yes, and on top of that, he will also be doing about sixty games on the broadcast this year. I love all of that so much. I do too because that man's like his in-depth breakdown. Like I feel like I don't know if you're the same way. I feel like I learn something every time I watch a Twins game when he's broadcasting. Well. And for a guy that was relatively reserved during his time with the Minnesota Twins, I feel like you're getting a good look at his personality as well. Um, And he's just got that warm personality that just feels like he's inviting you into Target Field when you watch or listen to a game. (laughs) Like a Canadian Jim Nance. Hello, friends. It's it's just really... really good to hear him in the booth and to see him succeed in that regard too um because you look at the the differences between like a glenn perkins and then you look at what justin morneau is doing and glenn's a little bit more rob gronkowski and he always kind of has been with the minnesota twins (laughs) he never was the uh calm and collected guy he definitely wore his his heart on his sleeve um but you like that about Glenn Perkins the same way that you respected Justin for always seeming to be very composed with himself uh, and not being a player that was getting rattled or openly going to the media uh, to complain about certain things and everything. And Michael Kadire talked a little bit about why Joe Maurer and Justin Morneau uh, were kind of the behind-the-scenes locker room leaders where he, Brian Dozier, Glenn Perkins were more the go-to-the-media and, and talk-about-things kind of guys. But... It really has been nice to see Justin um, on TV uh, and and really just kind of Tony Romoing himself out there too when he breaks down pitch counts, when he breaks down what a pitcher might throw, what he might do with the plate, and all these other things. Uh, like you said, it really does feel like you're learning something when you watch a game with him in the booth. Yeah, and I mean, obviously it took him a little bit to get going. He was a little bit, his first couple of games, you could tell he was nervous and like, he was like, no, don't put the camera on me. But he's definitely hit his stride. And like, yeah, I would definitely equate it to a Tony Romo kind of situation. Yeah, and part of it too is that it's not a knock on Burt because Burt has been a staple of the Minnesota Twins for who knows how long. Um, But it's getting somebody in there with different takes, with different eyes for the game uh, and it's just hearing a different viewpoint. And I think for some of us younger fans, 
who are interested more in some of the the Sabre stats and some of the other things in the more modern baseball era, it really is a nice change of pace for us to be able to sit down and to listen to what Justin has to say about the modern game of baseball. Yeah, absolutely. Plus, and, everybody loves to, or Justin Morneau. And I'm sure, like, because Bert's probably getting close to just being done altogether. Because, I mean, he's been in and around baseball for, what, probably 40, 50 years at this point? Probably. Something close to that. I'm sure his wife would like him at home a little bit more. Or well, the golf she, course would like him on there a little more. Yeah, I was going to say the golf course before his wife. <laughs> <laughs> not that Bert's a bad husband. I'm not saying that one bit. It was just, no. just a joke. Just calm down. Calm <laughs> down. Um, no, it's it's been great to see guys like Justin and Glenn Perkins and even Tori, uh, who's been in the booth a handful of times as well. Yeah. Um, it's just nice to see some of that kind of the generation that we grew up with as kids, you know, watching play baseball to come in and, and to do some different things too. You know, to see Johan Santana around the organization again uh, has been one of my favorite things about the last couple seasons. That obviously yes. you do have all the stuff with Michael Kadire, um, Latroy Hawkins, just all of the players that they've somehow brought back into the fold one way or another. Um, and to see that a lot of them do have, you know, fond memories of the Minnesota Twins, the way that we have fond memory of them with the Minnesota Twins. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just touching on Burt real quick. It looks like in, let's see, 2018 was, the plan was to reduce him to 80 games and then 50 in 2019 and then 30 this season. So, yeah. He's, he's definitely in the twilight, but, I mean, it's awesome to see how many different, like, personalities that the Twins can still bring in. Well, and Bert's I mean, can 68. you imagine, like, Johan? What's up? Bert's 68. I mean, like, he has been in baseball since 1970, so this year would be 50 years. That's incredible. Um, so the fact that he's been doing this since he was 18 years old, I think, is a testament to his love of the game. And I don't think that yeah. that's ever been called into question as to whether or not Bert enjoys baseball. It's the same thing, too, that I think you and I knocked with Dan Gladden when he kind of took over a more prominent role with the Twins broadcast on radio, is that a lot of his views were a little old school, and it seemed that there were more complaints than positive things to say about the team. But over the last couple seasons, he really has impressed me as whether or not he believes in the stats, I don't know. I'm not going to say whether or not he believes in the things that he's talking about, um, but with him in the booth, he's been talking a little bit more about some of the Sabre stats, and it doesn't sound like he's being sarcastic when he mentions them. And for a guy like Dan Gladden to you know, potentially come around on some of these newer takes on baseball, I think speaks volumes as to, to his professionalism, at least in regards to broadcasting. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, because you can tell there's a, a certain Hall of Fame pitcher that the Twins used to employ that does not at all feel that way and doesn't look like it will ever change. <laughs> Which is really a shame because we all love this Twins Hall of Fame pitcher that uh, led us to a World Series in 1991. Um, I think he pitched a few games. Maybe an important one. Yeah. It, but at the same time, we all love Blackjack, and I feel like he does bring a, a very good approach to his broadcasting. Uh, it's mm-hmm. just that you're not going to get the, the Sabre stats like you would like to, uh, I think, for a lot of the younger baseball fans. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, it's uh, he makes some quips about it, but I mean, it doesn't. I don't think it affects his professionalism at all in the booth. No, and I'd say the one thing too about uh, Blackjack is that he he's always been such a, a consternate professional on TV. 
uh, consummate professional on TV that it's always a treat when we do get him into the booth. Uh, and it's always funny, too, when he somehow ends up in the Detroit broadcast booth for a couple games during the season, too. Um, Does he just go back and forth between booths, I wonder? I think it's like, more like a so... Spot? Yeah, just kind of as like a... He is such a fixture of the Detroit Tigers um, yeah. that it's more of a... He's not signed to a specific deal. He does, I believe he does more Twins games than he does uh, Tigers games. Yep. But it's just a situation, too, where it's like the Detroit goes, hey, can we get Blackjack? And Twins go, yeah, we don't have him. Take him. And then so he just goes uh, and does whatever he wants to in Detroit, where uh, Dan Gladden will not go to Detroit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sort of like how the Twins, like, at home sometimes, they just, like, bring in somebody for an inning or two. Mm-hmm. I still think my favorite Burt Blylevin moment was uh, when he swore live on TV. <laughs> oh my god, yes. Uh, and I believe it was with LaPanta in the was pre Was something like, holy shit, are we alive or something like that? He's like, oh, we're going to have to fucking do that take again. I fucked up. And then like LaPanta <laughs> or Bramer, I can't remember which one it was. They're like, oh, Burt, we're alive. And then so they, they finished that segment. They came back from commercial. Uh, and then Burt apologized. And the fall in the next game, uh, Dick Bramer was doing pregame, I think, with Anthony Lapanta. And they go, "Hi, I'm Dick Bramer, and uh, alongside Anthony Lapanta, Bert's on vacation for three days." <laughs> <laughs> because I think the funny thing too, if I remember, was that Bert was talking about how he wanted a vacation, like a couple games before this happened. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know if that theoretically was intentional to get a vacation. Or if it was just really, really funny karmic retribution for somebody. Oh my god. Could you imagine if we just did that on purpose? I mean, knowing Burton his goofiness, it's not out of the realm of possibility. We're not saying it's guaranteed, but would I don't think either of us would be surprised if you're just like, Oh, oh, would you, oh, would you look at that? Alright, I'll see you guys in a few days. Yeah. Oh, we, 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 oh, I made a mistake. Sorry, guys. <laughs> No, I wonder if he got fined because obviously he got suspended by the FCC. But I wonder if there was a fine involved. Well, he may not have even gotten fined by the FCC. Uh, it may have been a Fox Sports North thing that they may have just oh, taken I care see. of it internally. Okay. Um, due to their standards of what a broadcaster would be, because not yeah. everything that happens is an FCC fine. Like if I would have oh, gone okay. on air uh, back in the day and dropped a, a bunch of f bombs, my boss probably would have been the first one to to come in and talk to me about whatever the punishment would be before the FCC got around to it. Because the thing that people have to understand is that with the FCC, they're not that large. So it's not like they've got, you know, 100,000 people that are watching all of these TV channels and listening to all these broadcasts. More or less, it's when people report it to the FCC is when they'll kind of go in and investigate something. So... okay. Yes, the FCC may be watching some of the bigger things like award shows or, you know, bigger TV premieres or, or live TV and different things like that. Uh, but for the most part, they're not going to be the ones that are going to go after, um, you know, smaller radio stations or whatever it is unless they're prompted to. Okay. So a lot of it's like self-reporting from other listeners then rather than them. Because yeah, I was going to say, I didn't know how big the FCC was, but yeah, like trying to sit down and like listen and watch all of broadcasts from across the country, like that seems like an impossible task. Yeah, because when the FCC was technically on strike or, or whatever it was uh, a couple of years ago, like <laughs> we just treated it as business as usual because we're like, well, they're not listening to us on a regular basis anyway, so why would we change anything that we do now? 
Yeah. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Exactly. So, yeah. Still funny. I appreciate it. But yes, uh, Justin Warnell <laughs> is going into the Twins Hall of Fame. Uh, he's also getting another bobblehead. I believe it was a bobblehead. Ooh. Or what was it? He's getting something. Um. So where's the date? Yeah, I'm trying on to find this? it real quick. Because all I'm finding right now is the Len Three article from like a week ago from Star Tribune. Uh, and it doesn't look like there's anything in the MLB article either. Hmm. Maybe it was a Twins announcement. Damn it, Doe! Doe wrote this too. I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell him. <laughs> Actually. Don't quote me on that, because he may have said it. I don't know. <laughs> um, there will be some sort of giveaway, is what we're saying. Yes. Justin Morneau, Hall of Fame, bobblehead? <laughs> well, while you look that up real quick, we'll just touch on... Uh, I mean, this was a report from a week ago, but Twins possibly expressing interest in bringing in Taiwan Walker on a similar like minor league deal, just to see what's there. I wouldn't hate that. I wouldn't either. I didn't realize he's missed most of the last two years. I wouldn't hate that one bit. Yeah, it, it says Walker. Yeah, he's only 27. He's thrown just 14 innings over the past two seasons because of Tommy John surgery in April 2018. Okay. Uh, would not be mad about that at all. Because, no. I mean, pre-Tommy John, he was touching 98. So we would expect that to go down a little bit, like, what, 95, 96 maybe? Not necessarily. Is it? Oh, Really? I always well, thought, I'm, like, they lost a tick or two, but I suppose mechanics probably play a big part into that. Well, and you think about all the pitching schools and the off-season work that a lot of pitchers do. I mean, Trevor didn't lose anything when he came back from TJ, mm. and he'd been featured more in the bullpen, too. That is true. So, it's, I mean, Mike Pineda... with the bullpen, you can tick it up a little bit, right? Yeah, but, I mean, look at Mike Pineda as well. Yeah. He was pretty consistent with his career stat line when it came to his velocity. Mm-hmm. So, again, it's not... The Tommy John in 2020, I mean, even since probably 2016, hasn't been the same death sentence that it had been previously. And there's like different variations of it too, if I remember right. Possibly. Uh, May 23rd, the first 10,000 fans in attendance get a Justin Morneau bobblehead. Uh, and then that's also the day that he's going into the Hall of Fame against the White Sox, which was the oh. final team he played for. I... Might have to scoop up a ticket just to send you that Justin Morneau bobblehead. Oh, you're going to have to get there probably like 10 hours early. I guarantee the Lions for that day are going to be huge. Good thing I work downtown. Yeah. Um, also, they're going to be giving away a Josh Donaldson bobblehead on June 16th. Does he have an umbrella? I'm not sure. If I remember correctly, I believe he just has a baseball bat, which would make more sense. Okay. Um. Yes, I know that they call him the bringer of rain. I get the joke. I get yep. it. I get it. Um. <laughs> so yeah, that's uh. That'll be. That'll be fun. I'm. I'm glad that. Uh, Justin's. Worked his way back into the Twins organization in one way or another, and the fact that he seems to. Uh, enjoy his time with the organization still, because uh, obviously it wasn't his plan to get kneed in the head. Uh, for concussion nope. that kind of derailed what could have been a, a Hall of Fame career but it, it, he's always been such a great community member 
Um, he's just been a really stand-up citizen, a, a great team player, and he. It was the magic of him and Joe Maurer, and just the the team and and the thought that like yeah the Twins could win the World Series riding both of these guys. Um, it's just that the pitching wasn't quite there after uh, Johan left, and among some other uh, lack of positional players that didn't quite get the job done. And not trading for Cliff Lee at the deadline. Or not trading for Tyler Clippard back, what, 2011? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the fact that we got there. Tyler Clippard nine years after like we first <laughs> tried to get him is really shocking to me. <laughs> Well, and the fact that he's been pretty consistent with his numbers, too, is impressive. Yeah. Oh, uh, the one thing that we wanted to mention quickly was that uh, Dusty Baker has been uh, announced as the new general manager for the Astros. Uh, so rip the Astros pitching staff. <laughs> R.I.P. to all those arms. Oh, my God. Like, Dusty Baker is a fine enough manager, but dear Lord, has he tried to run some pitchers into the ground. <laughs> He's like the new version of Tommy Lasorda. And Justin Verlander's out there for his 129th pitch. We are in the 7th. Dusty Baker, knee up on the <laughs> up on the step. Nobody moving in the bullpen. I don't even know if it's knee up on the steps. I think it's going to be him like just sitting with his feet up on a bucket of bubble gum. <laughs> oh. And like, and it, my little brother and I were talking about this, like... It almost kind of seems like a punishment. <laughs> I don't know why we're punishing the pitchers. Well, I, I don't either. I think maybe they're trying to get Justin Verlander out of the league for good this time. Like, we're tired of you talking crap. It's been a couple of years. We'll just bring <laughs> Dusty Baker and then we'll see how long you survive then. <laughs> yeah, Garrett Cole is thanking himself that he got the hell out of there and is playing for the Yankees at this point. <laughs> <laughs> Uh. Yeah, I mean, that's part of it, too. Like, if we want to go back a little bit, it's the fact that Astros pitching was still super solid. Like, I don't think trash can bangs were helping the pitchers figure out what swing the batter was going to do. <laughs> Two for a uppercut swing. <laughs> Maybe they did have something in place for it. I'm not entirely sure. But either way, oh man, we're what, like a week away from spring training now? Uh, pitchers and catchers report on February 12th. So, 10 days uh, as of this recording, 8 days when you guys listen to it. I'm excited. I'm ready for baseball. Oh my god. Baseball. Uh, Trevor, Trevor May, not excited to go down to Florida for a myriad of reasons uh, on stream the other day, and all of them seemed legit. <laughs> because it's Florida? Yeah. He's like, I wish we played in Arizona. I'm like, I'm, Yeah. Go with that, but uh, Fort Myers is a magical place in all of the shit that is Florida. <laughs> it is, um, it's it's an interesting place. We'll put it that way. Yeah. To be non-controversial, it was not at all what I was expecting last year. The stadium itself is amazing, but the town is, <clears throat> it's fine, I guess. There's some improvements that could be made to Fort Myers and many, many of the cities within Florida, the state itself. Yes, that is that is the way we're gonna we're gonna put it. Uh, Trevor hates the internet speed. He hates how they have medians in parking lots and all the other places too. And the fact that it is retirement city, 
so the lack of uh, life <laughs> in Fort Myers <laughs> not uh, not terribly high. So it's it's not the most vibrant place. <laughs> no, no. So yeah, again, all of it that he was saying, I'm like, yeah, I've been there a handful of times. It's uh, it's interesting. It's a place. It, it is a pl- it is a place. <laughs> Whew. Well, I think we did pretty good for your first solo adventure. Yeah. I'm definitely going to have to pick up like an actual standalone mic instead of having an earbud in one ear for the phone and a gaming headset around my neck for a microphone. Yeah, well, but, something in you know, the background is making a lot of noise and it was throwing me off for the first couple minutes, but now I, I've tuned it out. I think it was our furnace. So yeah, nope, I'm gonna have to figure something out happening to... with your with your neck or your head. Hmm. Yeah, so, I'm gonna have to figure out a better way to do this. But yeah, yeah we'll talk I, about that. <laughs> yeah, professionalism—that's what we're striving for here. Yeah, I don't think it's gonna sound bad though on the recording, and if it does, oh well. Yeah, it's dance I first apologize. time. Leave him alone. <laughs> I apologize way at the end of this if you made it all the way through. We'll put that in the, in the description for the show this week. Oh, uh, one one more quick thing just before we go. Um, the uh, picture between Glenn Perkins and Josh Donaldson just brought a smile to my heart and my face, and I'm sure it did to you as well. Oh yeah, it's it's always a good time when you see some of the more uh, colorful members of the Twins organization get together. Yeah, because uh, for I'm sure most of you guys know, but just in case you didn't, there was a, a slight dust up between those two. I think it was 2014 or 2015. Yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, Trevor said he was happy he was on the team because he was, I think, perfect against him in the games that they played. <laughs> yeah, his quote was something like, "That dude just raked against me." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! All right. So baseball is back very soon. We are happy. We're sure you're happy. It is a time for hype and excitement. It is. So we appreciate all of you listening to this edition of the Twins and Losses Super Show. We are part of the 4D Podcast Network. Your on-air talent today has been myself and Dan McCarthy. And we've both produced this time, which is a pretty cool thing to say. Uh, But again, you can follow along with us on Twitter, at Twins and Losses. Follow us individually at PandaPete21 and at VDOker. And, of course, you can follow along with all things 4D Podcast Network on Twitter, at 4D Podcasts. And, of course, you can listen, uh, check us out online at 4dpodcast.com and over on Facebook at the 4D Podcast Network. We'll be back in a couple weeks. Spring training should be here uh, by the time we get our next episode up and ready for you. Uh, And, again, thank you all for participating in the poll. We're going to talk a little bit more. Uh, about doing some shorter off-week shows and some other things too. So hopefully we can have a little bit more uh, twins and losses uh, coming through the pipeline in 2020. Uh, Yeah, that's all I got. So thank you all for tuning in, and we'll catch you again in another two weeks.
tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial, LLC, member SIPC.